Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you were listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, The Battle of Elliot Smith. Is his best album EXO or Figure Eight? Micaiah, before we get into these albums, tell us what we need to know about Elliot Smith, the artist. Elliot Smith is kind of, and no one refers to him in these terms, but I think of him at least as kind of the godfather of indie music or indie singer-songwriters at least, um, and probably the most influential among them in the last 25 years. Um, it seems like if you're into anyone from Fleet Foxes to Phoebe Bridgers, you know, in the last 25 years, you know, Ellie Smith has touched all these people. And they've said as much. Uh, this year is actually the 25th anniversary of his most celebrated album, Either Or. And, you know, since that anniversary came up, plenty of people um, from indie music, um, you know, wrote about, talked about, or posted about how much their mu- his music has meant to them. And so for us, um, he definitely is for you and I, who of course we kind of grew up on indie music and like that kind of singer songwriter stuff, you know, that kind of variation of whatever singer songwriter is a, a, a designation that he didn't like himself. But since you and I lean, you know, have a kind of a preference for that kind of music, uh, no surprise that an Elliot Smith album would make our list of what we think to be the 100 best albums. What is surprising for people who are listening to this or refusing to listen to it because of our choices is that it is pretty much set in stone that the 1997 album Either Or is his best. Um, to the point where people don't even want to entertain that there could be another Elliot Smith album that's better. Um, and for me, that's kind of frustrating because, and that's why I'm so excited about our episode because we are talking about two underdogs, um, which I think makes this um, a potentially fun, if not heated, discussion. I, I want to address that because for many listeners, the idea and the guests that we've talked to about this question have pretty much been unanimous about their belief that either or is the best Elliott Smith album. And I think you and I would both agree it is his tightest album mm-hmm. because, because of its length. It is a shorter album than EXO or Figure Eight. And either or also represents the last album for Elliott Smith. This was the last album of his to come out before he was a national name, before people really knew who he was. And so in some ways, either or feels like the last of the truly underground Mm -hmm. Elliott Smith albums. Now, I don't know how much you can really say that either or was a celebrated album, even in 1997. There are great reviews from Spin and Rolling Stone and NME going back to 1997 when the album came out. So I I don't know how much you can really believe that it was kind of the last of the underground Elliott Smith albums, but it was before his music was on, it was before his music was being performed on the late night shows before he was uh, performing at the Oscars for his song, Miss Misery that was in 
the soundtrack to the movie Goodwill Hunting. And so either or and XO really demonstrate this kind of dividing line for Elliot Smith's albums. And really because his first three albums, Roman Candle, Elliot Smith, and either or were all produced small scale, lo-fi production, all produced in Portland, Oregon, where he was living at the time. And they are very Pacific Northwest albums Mm -hmm. between the release of either or in writing XO, he had moved to Brooklyn and between writing XO and writing figure eight, he had moved to Los Angeles. And so XO and figure eight are not only his last two albums that were released during his lifetime. They are the only two of his five first studio albums that were not made in his beloved Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are a lot of people that really see either or as this kind of seminal album, especially like you said, influence for the kind of indie singer songwriter vibe. Uh, ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie counts either or as one of his kind of perennial top 10 albums. Um, the same has been said by Richard Reed, Richard Reed Perry of Arcade Fire. Phoebe Bridgers has said as much as well. Beck has said as much. And so there are a lot of artists in that vein who look at either or as not just a favorite album, but a very important album. And so you and I are really making the case that Elliot Smith's best work, maybe his most interesting work, is the work he made after leaving Portland, is the work that he made after gaining some notoriety and fame that he was very uncomfortable with. And what happens in XO, you know, produced while he was living in Brooklyn and figure eight produced while he was living in Los Angeles is, is a very different kind of Elliot Smith with still the, the kind of fragments of what makes him kind of this great, indie folk hero that a little bit of what we hear on Roman candle, a little bit of what we hear on either or, but we really get to see an XO in figure eight that Elliot Smith, much like the Beatles discovered in that kind of late 66 beginning of 67 period where they went in to record revolver. And then eight months later went back into the studio to record Sergeant pepper Elliot Smith learns to be a studio musician in a really compelling and interesting way on XO and figure eight. And I think you and I both agree. These are two albums of his catalog that do not get enough love that they do not get the attention that they deserve. And here we are kind of, you know, planting our flag in the ground and saying, we think the best Elliot Smith album is not either, or we think it's between XO and figure eight with either, or like, again, like, is it the most influential, like, of these three Elliot Smith records? I think, like, empirically, you can say, yes, that has had the most influence. Um, and if we were making a list of the most influential records of all time, it would be either or. It wouldn't even be a conversation, really, of which one would it be, because I think it is the most influential. Drink up, baby, stay up all night with the things you could do. Potential you'll be that you'll never see the promise 
so much of what Elliot Smith can do um, as a writer, as a musician and as a producer, because he co-produces these records we're talking about today as well. So I, I think one of our kind of attempts is to open up people's minds about who Elliot Smith was and what exactly, what what kind of music he made and was making Uh, because the last half or so of his career uh, was not just this lo-fi indie folk thing. It was something very interesting, and that was it wasn't experimental. But I mean, as far as indie rock goes, yeah. And and when you look at the trajectory that so many people in indie music take, they do take the Elliot Smith path. They do go for the well. Let's go into a bigger studio with more money and another producer, and let's see how far we can push this thing. So you do. You know, I don't think that Elliot Smith is responsible for like the avant folk, neo folk scene. Um, maybe not, but maybe there's a case that he is. You know, for as much as people kind of turn away from these records, um, it's still the trajectory that a lot of bands took um, by the time they approached their third or their fourth or whatever record. I think there's something to be said as well for the idea that either or is his last album on kill rock stars. It's, mm-hmm. it's his last independent record label release. And it's because it has become so commonplace. Every, every indie band that you and I love is, is, you know, almost in kind of without fail has reached a point where they've signed to a major or an imprint of a major label. But this was in the 90s during a period of time where there was still some cachet that came with being on an indie label. And there was a lot of pushback for an artist like Elliot Smith when he jumped to to a major. And you also hear in these two albums the access to the, you know, the access to studio time, the access to the kind of studios that he's able to go in and record with and the access to having the kind of musicians and instrumentalists and co-writers show up on some of these songs and some of these albums that you really have access to because of major label money. And I, I think you're right. I think he sets the, he provides the perfect roadmap for the indie band to sign to a major label and still do interesting work to take advantage of what a major label provides without uh, allowing it to change them too much, or at least in, in detrimental ways. And so I, I think there's something interesting to talk about around that subject, but before we get into it, we want to take a break. Since we are talking about Elliot Smith, we're going to let you hear from our favorite independent record store in Portland, Oregon. And then we're going to let you hear from our sponsor, Anchor, and we will be back to go head to head, XO versus Figure Eight. 
Hey, this is Rob, and I want to take a quick break before we get you back to the episode and tell you a little bit about today's independent record store of the week. We're highlighting Portland, Oregon's own Music Millennium. Music Millennium has been opened in Portland since 1969. It's located at 3158 East Burnside in Portland. You can reach them by phone at area code 503-231-8926. And of course, their website, musicmillennium.com. Check them out today. Micaiah, you have chosen XO for our list, and so let's go chronologically in the order of his career. Why don't you tell us about XO and your arguments for this album as Elliot Smith's best? Sure. Uh, I mean, like we've already said, it's the fourth studio album, right, as Elliot Smith, his first solo record on our major label. But one of these ironies, too, about the turn to a major label is that his other band heat miser uh they their last record was on a major label so this technically isn't really his first time on a major label uh, but it is his first time just as a solo artist right Uh, and it was released the same year that he performed at the oscars um which was a very interesting time for him uh because again the Oscars happened in the beginning of 1998 for the movies of 1997. Of course, the, one of the biggest movies of all time was Titanic with one of the biggest songs of all time by Celine Dion. Um, so him being there competing in that category was, I mean, just seemed like a joke. Like we, everyone knew who was going to win. He goes up there, he plays with just his acoustic and Celine Dion has like a, a Titanic set, you know, it's this big production Right, you could not get any further from each other. Um, but by all accounts, um, he interacted with Celine Dion backstage and had nothing but really sweet things to say about her to the point to when people would approach him on the street and be like, Hey man, Celine sucks. That he would say, Hey, shut up. Like she's she's very pleasant. Like he was, you know, very protective of, of her actually when people would kind of try to talk crap about her, uh, which is maybe not a side of Elliot Smith that we think about a lot and don't know a lot and probably wouldn't know um, if, you know, his, his, his life and career had ended so shortly, but that is a little story that I like about him. Um, but yeah, I, I chose the record uh, XO. Um, so it's, it's very interesting point in his career where either or comes out and is beloved by the indie music community. And he's just now performed at the Oscars and he's on a major label, which is DreamWorks. Um, so even though it's like a major label, it's it's new. Um, but this record, to me, um, and again, I, I have to, you know, admit that this was probably my first exposure to Elliot Smith was on this record. So, and I and I think a lot of people, uh, for a lot of different artists, kind of like can't separate like the first time they heard them from other albums. So it's like, you know, oh, this is the first one I love. So this is the one. I'm saying is their best, right? I, I may be guilty of that here, but I've spent a lot of time with all of his records. Um, and this is the one that uh, continues to to do it for me. Um, 
and I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll go through this um, track by track, um, really kind of hitting on some of the more important kind of notes, what makes this a great record. Uh, the opener, Sweet Adeline. Cut this picture into you and me. Great opening track starts familiar, right? Uh, Elliot Smith, acoustic guitar. You get the vibe, you get the tone, right? And then about the midpoint of the song, all of a sudden, very studio savvy power pop, like eruption of sound that happens. You're like, oh, this is what he's doing on a major label. This is what he's doing with access to these studios. Right. So it's not, he's not just turning out the same thing again. He's saying, you know, it's, it's, it's a big statement, uh, this track. Right. And, and he wanted to be like a power pop guy. He thought of himself as someone who wrote pop music. He idolized the Beatles. Um, I think John Bryan in an interview referred to him like as a Beatles jukebox. So like at any point on the guitar, or the piano would just turn out, any Beatles song that you could name, right? That that's just what interested him. But what his life experience was um, kind of dictated kind of the content of these pop songs that he was writing. Um, second track, Tomorrow, Tomorrow. All right, uh, one of my favorite songs on this record. Uh, definitely top five on this record and probably pretty high in my top Elliot Smith songs too. I just think it's really great. But again, he... He gives you that power pop thing, and then he kind of reels you back in with like kind of doing the classic thing, right? The acoustic guitars, right? Uh, doing his own harmonies, which is very important um, for what makes Elliot Smith so influential is him singing, doing his own backup stuff, doing his own harmonies and his own vocal layers. Um, that is a huge part of what makes Elliot Smith sound, you know, his trademark, really. Um, repeating kind of things, the deaf and dumb and done like in the first song. Uh, so you're setting up that, right. So this album, there, there are a bunch of threads here to kind of follow, uh, which kind of makes it an interesting. It's not a concept album, but there are these kind of motifs that keep it together as this kind of one, you know, piece, this artistic piece this artistic statement that um, I think really keeps it really solid, especially when you're making your first record, that's going to go 14 tracks over 40 minutes long, you know, and you're going to start doing things in the studio that people were not expecting and probably wanting to fight, you know, push back against. Um, 
So I think he's doing a lot of smart things here mm-hmm. as a producer. Also theory that I can't prove that I think that tomorrow, tomorrow is kind of his take or his version of like, well, if I had to write the Beatles yesterday, what's my version of that? I think that might be tomorrow, tomorrow, but yeah, I don't, I don't to... know if I, I don't know if I agree with, with that directly, but, but what I will say is true is if there is any band's influence that is present from start to finish in this album, especially at the finish, it's the Beatles. I mean, you, you can't listen to XO without hearing someone who deeply loves the entire Beatles catalog, because he's going to draw on a lot of those uh, sounds and pictures and themes very often on this album and to, and to great effect. I, I think he, I think he does so in a way that is, unique to himself while also um i think paying an appropriate homage to the this band that clearly has created in him a a a great love of pop music because like you said when you listen to this album it is as much as we think of it as kind of like in in a prototypical indie rock album uh there's no indication that that's what he was trying to make he's it very much sounds like he's trying to do his version of a pop album and he follows pop formula on nearly every one of these songs. Oh yeah. I mean, pretty standard verse chorus, you know, in a bridge and then a court, you know, like he's, he's playing by the rules. Um, but, but I mean, what, what sets him part is, you know, his ability as a, as a lyricist, right? That's really what's, uh, makes him who he is not that he's kind of pushing the form of what a song can be um, but how he writes and the, and of course like they said like the way he you know records his vocals as well um, third track and this is a we're at a top five Ellie Smith track here Waltz number two parentheses XO yeah um, great song first the mic then I have This is when you when you do the Ellie Smith greatest hits. This is in the top five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an interesting song. It's um, clearly influenced more by country and western music. Um, so it's like a, a country and western waltz. Um, but the kind of narrative behind it is like a family portrait of, I guess, what you would call revenge karaoke. Um, very spiteful karaoke songs are being sung in this song. Um. Yeah, very very interesting uh, stuff here, but just a great song. And the live versions of the song are much more rock and roll, and those are great too. But I think what we have here is pretty much a perfect recording 
um, this particular track is just exceptional. And you get, I mean, like, you know, if you're growing up and you're listening to Elliot Smith, you know, when you've got your, your notebook in school and you're just jotting down lyrics, you know, you're, you're probably writing, I'm never going to know you now, but I'm going to love you anyhow. Right. This is kind of like classic kind of Elliot Smithism. Right. But I also think there's just something powerful as the music is building and he says things like, it's okay. It's all right. Nothing's wrong. Especially like in retrospect, I know there, there's something very powerful in, in that performance and in those lyrics um, that don't seem like a carefully composed set of lyrics, but as something that feels more urgent and honest and authentic that I think is also what attracts people to, to Elliot Smith. Um, this side one is just a knockout because then track four is baby Britain. Come on. Which my favorite track on this album. I mean, so, I mean, if, if you were curious as to like, is he a big Beatles fan? Is this all Beatles stuff? Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a full blown, I mean, down to all the the imagery of England, right? London bridge is safe and sound instead of London bridge is falling down. Right. No matter how you keep, you know, no matter what you keep repeating, nothing's going to drag me down to a death that's not worth cheating. Right. Which is clever and interesting because it's uh on one hand, it seems like pretty optimistic, right? Like, well, London Bridge is safe and sound, right? But the other hand, you know, you talk about, you know, nothing's going to drag me down to a death that's not worth cheating. It's, it's that double-edged sword thing that he does all the time where, you know, and, and thinking about Ellie is that he, at this time, was being cast in the media as just this one thing, drug addict, depressed, yeah. singer-songwriter, right? Um, but he was more than that, right? He also had a great sense of humor and he could, you know, he, he was a person like all of us who contained multitudes, you know? And, and, I, and I think that one of the, to that point, I think one of the reasons that, so again, in, in the eyes of a lot of the media, especially in the aftermath of his songs on the Goodwill hunting soundtrack and the performance, of the Oscars, 
in in response to this kind of hey where did this guy come from most of the national media covered him as this kind of person who came came out of nowhere and you know he he is like portland oregon drug addict depressed and some of especially you know roman candle and elliot smith and some even some things on either or there is a a a broad brush that he was painting with at the time. But I think it's easy to oversimplify it to, oh, here's music that sounds lo-fi and depressed and put it about, you know, make, make it this statement of his mental health, not a statement of here's a guy who didn't have a lot of money and was signed to independent record labels who's essentially recording in basements and one room studios. Like here, here's a person who is recording to the best of their ability with what's available to them at the time. And so I, I think that one of the things you begin to hear on EXO, and I think you hear it even more again, in, and I think part of that is also recording in Los Angeles on, uh, on figure eight is you begin to see Elliot Smith really, really intentionally demonstrating how many different colors he can paint with on, on this album. And you get to see him do something like Waltz number two, followed by Baby Britain into Pizzola. Like you get to see him go, I'm not just one thing, I'm a whole bunch of different things. And and I love um he, he doesn't do that in a way that uh, feels inauthentic. He doesn't do that in a way that feels showy. It's just kind of, he's got the access to demonstrate what all he can do. And it's, I think it immediately defied the expectations that the national media was putting out around him for the first half of this year. No, no, absolutely. I agree with that. And one more thing about baby Britain is that, you know, it is this, it's not, it's a Beatles kind of thing, but it doesn't sound like George Martin producing it. You know, no. it's, it doesn't, it's not, per, it's not perfectly tightened up. There's still, there's still like a garage rock kind of feel about it um, in the way that it's mixed, especially in the sound of the drums. Um, but then there are these like flourishes with different like uh, key instruments, the, that just kind of makes its way into one of the verses that just sounds great. I mean, this, this to me is we also talk about, you know, a uh, waltz number two, while that might be like canonically, like the best song on the album my, for me, baby Britain is what does it for me. But uh, yeah, the next track Pitsula again, kind of winning it back. Like, all right, I push it pretty far there. Go back to do the more introspective acoustic kind of thing that you're used to. Um, Pizzle is perfect for that. And then um, opening it back up again, right? Independence Day, right? Um, going a little bit further. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what this song means, but I think it's a lot about what we've been talking about. Um, that, that kind of tension between being like the indie music guy, now kind of in the mainstream, not necessarily trying to just kind of like an overnight success story, but kind of reluctantly. Um, but yet that freeing you up to do all the stuff in the studio, right? Independence day, like because he's not on an independent record recording in someone's house or his own house right now, he has kind of the, the freedom 
to do all this stuff. He has the freedom to like, okay, well, what would I do if I had all the same resources as, you know, all of the, the big shots, you know? And I think that that song kind of gets to the tension of that um, and kind of makes this record kind of a perfect for like this moment in his career. Uh, ending side one, if you have this LP, Blood White. This is probably a song when people first heard it, they probably thought this is exactly what I was afraid of, right? It's a, it's a kind of a big pop number um, with like the, the him doing his own backing vocals in a way that's like really catches kind of like call and response thing. Um, I also read the, the, from the engineer that this is, uh, has to do with uh, his own skepticism about gentrification. Like since there's a lot of different like colors that are blood up in the, I mean, all obviously blood white. Um, but for me, this song is really important because it sits pretty much in the middle of the record. And I think kind of, maybe not the thesis, but like the key theme, the key to kind of unlocking this record uh, happens in this song right here in the middle of the, of the album, right? Where he says, happy and sad come in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's the whole song, right? It's the same, like the line in baby Britain, right? And it starts off on top and then ends being about, right. His own death, which is much darker in retrospect. Um, You get these kind of like indie, you know, lo-fi kind of acoustic guitar kind of stuff all by these big power pop songs, you know, Um, quick succession. Right. Um, And again, like, like that kind of like duality, that he has right not just one thing i'm i'm both things i can be happy but sadness is just always right around the corner for me and this isn't something that necessarily produces great art sadness doesn't produce great art sadness is terrible it's awful it's not something to be celebrated you know it's something that you desperately want to escape from and it makes you unrelatable and unbearable around other people you know which is you know, kind of, the, I think the way the media was portraying him was like the depressed guy and the drug addict guy, and that somehow that was connected to also what made him an interesting musician, you know, and kind of pushing back against that. All right. So then you get another kind of a statement, right? When you flip over side two, um, other, you know, apart from Sweet Adeline, right? A different kind of a statement with Waltz number one, mm-hmm. which is, sounds the furthest away from any other. Elliot Smith recording, right? At this point in his career, very like reverb heavy. Um, John Bryan is there, um, famous composer uh, who had been working with, you know, Michael Penn and had done some stuff for Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. At this point, he's all, he's also composing music for Magnolia uh, for Paul Thomas Anderson, um, working for all those people that, um, Largo, right? That that whole Largo scene, which Elliot Smith has now um, been invited to. Mm-hmm. Right? John Bryan said that he heard this and it blew his mind, 
yeah. well, it's number one, which is it's one of my favorite songs on the record too. And you know, it, it's one of those things that you listen to now and you're like, well, Elliot Smith could have been one of the great film composers. I mean, he's, he's such a great piano player. He, he writes such great melodies and he has, he introduces so many great textures sonically the word this guy could have been, you know, you know, um, arm in arm with John Bryan putting together the eternal sunshine score. You know, that's, um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, he, he could have been giving us um, a lot of great things followed by what's maybe like the sloppiest song. Yeah. And in the song, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, Amity is the only song. Amity is a song on this album that I, it just doesn't make sense for me. It, it, now again, for you, you, because I think you believe so much in the kind of through line, all the, all the kind of themes that are being kind of shared through this album, the sloppiness of Amity makes sense for you. But, but for me, it just, it, it sounds, it sounds incomplete. Oh, I mean, I think that's by design. I think that's the the very point of the song. Um, It is just a, a drunken plea of a song, you know, it's, and I think the song is about uh, someone who's an an obnoxious drunk. Mm -hmm. And I think that the song is um, almost as obnoxious as the character. things like bled white and baby Britain, he tapped other musicians. He tapped other drummers to play on that track. He did not tap other people for this like kind of big band, full band song. Right. So I think it's his wisdom as a producer to be like, okay, I need the drums to be played like this because this song needs to sound this way and feel this way. And if it's, if someone better than me is playing the drums, it's not going to be the song that it needs to be. You know, he is someone who is thinking very intentionally and very cleverly about these songs and, and how they need to come across and how they need to feel. And so having him on the kit for this one, I think points to kind of his, his wisdom and forethought into how these songs need to be created. Um, even though it's kind of an obnoxious song, um, it still works and points to something that's still pretty brilliant about the person we're talking about. But I, but I'm with you. I mean, like it, it's, it's my least favorite song on the record, but I can, you know, intellectually, I can be like, I get why this is here. I understand why this is here. I don't hate it, but it's a clear uh, weakness. If this is a 12 track album, that's the first one that gets cut. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But um, fo- followed by, two two songs that i enjoy quite a bit yeah i mean oh well okay is this is it's it's lyrically pretty much classic elliot smith but it's it's now this new elliot smith who i mean because this, this i think this is the kind of song that they also kind of sets, sets up figure eight and what we hear on kind of like later stuff that was released posthumously um this kind of sound i think this is like 
phase two or phase three Elliot Smith right here um, pretty perfectly kind of wrapped up. I mean, there are a lot of things here, right? Uh, I'm bled white, right? Um, now it's all of a sudden uh, bleeding color, gone to black, right? And on Independence Day, you know, he's saying you only live a day, but now we have a flip perspective of, you know, dying like a day, right? So all of a sudden we're on side two and we're kind of seeing all these things from side one kind of turned a little bit. Very clever. I think uh, from a songwriting perspective, I think this is the kind of stuff that people find really appealing about Elliot Smith. Bottle Up and Explode is, is a song I particularly enjoy on EXO. It's of, of, the, of the kind of, I really take Independence Day to a question mark. And these like six songs f- feel kind of a little high-low for me. That kind of like, six six songs in the middle of the album that like there's just the the quality admittedly in my mind like there's some really really all-time great elliot smith songs and then you you get a song like amity like in in blood white is one of those songs where like i i understand what he's doing but i also understand kind of like the pushback against it so you you kind of have that but bottle up and explode I mean, other than Waltz number one might be my favorite song in this kind of middle six of the album. Yeah, uh, it rules. John Bryan back on the track with him. Um, it also seems like kind of, you know, lyrically one of these kind of quintessential Elliot Smith tracks. You know, it has kind of all of the substances and, and anger and sadness that we expect to hear from him, but um, kind of dressed up in a sound that doesn't make you miserable to listen to. Yeah. There's, there's a real juxtaposition of lyrical content and sonic soundscape in, in this song that I, that I think works really well. And in really, I feel like is so indicative of this kind of end stage of, of Elliot Smith's career in life. Um, and then next pushing things even a little bit further, right. Bringing us some like horns, on the track with the question mark, which people probably really did not expect. And, and either, or by the way, has a lot of drums and it has a lot of different kind of instrumental stuff happening there that people don't maybe give it even enough credit for. Uh, I feel like a lot of things that people say about either, or make more sense when they're talking about the self-titled record. Um, Cause either there, there's a lot more going on there than people remember, I think. Um, but yeah, question mark is pretty far from either or as with those with those horns together. But it's also a very angry song. If you ever want to say you're sorry, 
you know, you can give me a call, which is like kind of a bitchy thing to say. Um, you know, a very angry song, a very angry side too, actually. Um, and, and he and he, you know, talks about his anger and and not liking, you know, that that's in there, um, not in the track, but in himself. Um, speaking of angry songs, everybody cares, everybody understands. Um, having fun with the John Prine song "Illegal Smile," mm-hmm. right? He has a sickened smile, illegal in every town from a pencil full of poison lead. Um, pretty intense. Um, and here I lay looking down at the brilliant sun, right? Kind of calling back, you know, some things from like the first track, um, kind of a Beatlesy kind of John Lennon kind of stuff yeah. happening here. Um, even though I think that the easiest parallel would be Paul, especially the multi-instrumentalist stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, it's someone who wants to be Paul McCartney, but is burdened by actually having the vices of John Lennon, which is, yeah. I think kind of sums up Elliot Smith pretty well, actually. Yeah, I agree. And in speaking of, of that combination of, of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, we get the album closer, which I mean, yes. it's, it's important to say he had just finished recording his cover of because for the I am sound the I am Sam soundtrack during these sessions. So the sessions he was recording XO in, he had also recorded his cover of because, and uh, man, to say, to say that in a song carries the influence of a Beatles song on it, uh, you could not, you, it would not be possible to overstate how influential the Beatles song Because is on the album closer I didn't understand. Thought you'd be looking for the next in line to love Then ignore, put out, put away And so you'd soon be leaving me alone Like I'm supposed to be tonight, tomorrow and every day There's nothing here that you'll miss I can guarantee you this Is a cloud of smoke Trying to occupy space What a fucking joke What a fucking joke Elliot Smith is doing this by himself he is he is doing these eight and nine vocal layered sections and he is recording every single voice him every single vocal take is his he is hitting i mean if you if you pull harmony apart from from a, from a kind of music theory perspective you have a melody and your melody is kind of the dominant your kind of dominant melody that's going through a song and everything else is in harmony to the melody. And he is singing a flat two, a fifth, a sixth, a fourth, a flat seventh. I mean, he is, he is nailing all of these parts and he's doing this all in the studio on his own. And this is a period of time before auto tune, 
So this just demonstrates for me what an incredible vocalist he was. The, the technical, the technical just proficiency he had, the mastery he had over his voice to record something like I didn't understand. It's just him showing off. It's, it's not a show off as much as just like a demonstration of his abilities, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, you kind of have that. I mean, that's the kind of the complicated thing where it's like, you have to have the confidence and the boldness to go and, and do that stuff. Um, while also being like a deeply insecure person who's uncomfortable in social situations and performing at the Oscars and stuff, right? You can be both things. This, the confident guy or the asshole and everybody cares, everybody understands, but then like the sorrowful guy in the final track, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. But you know, I just want to highlight, you know, a couple of lyrics that, you know, occur at the end of this record that I think kind of sum up the album pretty well. You know, my feelings never change a bit. I always feel like shit. I don't know why I guess that I just do. You know what I mean? Is um, Yeah. I get it, man. And something that seems so personal is like, oh yeah, that's Elliot Smith singing about his bullshit again. But it's like, I feel like that's a pretty universal experience. I mean, not universal, but I feel like for a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people can hear that and be like, mm-hmm, that's me too, dude. You know, and, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, and I think that's the power of Elliot Smith too, is that he goes to these dark places, but that maybe it's taboo to go to or, you know, that maybe he shouldn't expose too much, but I think that that is what has given him so much, or these records and these songs, such longevity is going to that place that everyone feels, uh, but either can't articulate or feel like they're not allowed to even talk about. You know, and I think that that's uh, the strength of, of Elliot Smith and his writing and, and his music. Yeah, and the, the last line of, of this record, you once talked to me about love and, you painted pictures of a never, never land. And I could have gone to that place, but I didn't understand, you know, and that's, um, we don't have the time to unpack that. Uh, but I think it's a, a wonderful way to, to end this record. Um, like, you know, don't be fooled. You heard a bunch of really fun pop songs here, but you know, this is still, you know, when you, when you, when you pull away all the instruments and you just have the voice and you just have the lyrics, right. This is what, it all comes down to uh, on a record that's called XO, right? Hug and kiss, you know, um, you know, what, what are, what are kind of the implications of that? You know, it's a, it's a very interesting record and um, file statements on me before we get, or before you rather get into, to figure eight. Um, what makes it for me, like not just my favorite, but I think the best Elliot Smith record is that it is that bridge between the more lo-fi either or and the incredibly polished, incredibly well-made figure eight, right? Um, and in some way, EXO is doing both either or and figure eight. Like, I think it, it really splits the difference on what it is you want from Elliot Smith. Um, I think you get um, all of those things on this record. Um, I think the best, right? That's just my opinion. Uh, but that is my case uh, for EXO. So Rob, um, unless you have final statements on XO, um, what is your case for figure eight? I would say that XO is a, XO is a really, really impressive feat as a major label debut. And I think that he does. I think if you're a fan of Elliot Smith's earlier work, 
I think you get enough of that on XO to be happy. I think if you're a fan like I am, the figure eight, I think you get enough of that to be happy. XO feels like a very great representation of Elliot Smith as an artist and, and, and with some really, really great songs. But you and I have been talking about this episode in, in, you know, full disclosure for our listeners. This is the second time we've recorded this episode in the year and a half. We have been doing this podcast. This is the first time we've ever had to go back and re-record an episode because you and I went on for hours trying to kind of figure out how, how do we make this decision between these two albums? And since then, I've been thinking a lot about what is, what is a comparison I would make? And I'm, I'm hoping this will make sense for someone. Um, otherwise you're just, you know, maybe it'll just be the kids who are in AP English with me when I was in high school. But the, the comparison that I would make between these two albums is XO is in many ways like JD Salinger's nine stories his his collection of short stories it is nine stories some work better than others but they all have similar themes they all have similar feelings there are motifs that he's kind of coming back to over and over again across the nine stories it is a short story collection where the short stories are not connected to one another, but there is a feeling that they all work together in the one book. If that is XO, figure eight is Kurt Vonnegut's Welcome to the Monkey House. It is way more, um, it, it is arguably bloated with short stories. Um, some of them are some of his best work that he does in his career and some of them just feel like he never finished them. And, and so that's the best picture that I can make be for me, the lows on figure eight are lower than the lows on XO, but I think the highs on figure eight are higher than the highs on XO. And I think there's a good reason for that. And this is, what Elliot Smith said in an interview with the Boston Herald in 2000, right around the time the album came out, he said, I liked the idea of a self-contained endless pursuit of perfection, but I have a problem with perfection. I don't think perfection is very artful, but there's something I liked about the image of a skater going in this endless twisted circle that doesn't have any real endpoint." So the object is not to stop or arrive anywhere. It's just to make this thing as beautiful as they can. And that for me feels like the perfect description of figure eight as an album, this kind of endless pursuit of beauty. And sometimes it's not very artistic and sometimes it's incredibly, uh, I mean, just, just in, in incredibly beautiful. Um, but but it is a artist who is constantly looking to maybe add just one more element or do one more thing. And so there are places on figure eight where the album gets, it gets a little bloated. It, there's, there is plenty of fat 
uh, to trim off on this album. But man, the high points of this album are great. So let me go ahead and start um, with the very first song on the album and the first single released of the album, Son of Sam. Son of Sam is, uh, I mean, this, this is a rock song. Uh, this is, this is him, you know, full use of the studio, full band. This is Elliot Smith, the rock artist that we hear on Son of Sam that is then followed by lyrically a very prototypical Elliot Smith song in the song, somebody that I used to know. Um, but, but incredibly well-written and again, talking about, you know, as, as he is experiencing the, the studio, as he's doing more things, as he is engaged with this, uh, kind of collective of people around Largo, Los Angeles, he's getting exposed to new approaches to music. And again, I think that Micaiah, your, uh, your point that he is clearly, you know, being influenced a little bit by these guys who are doing soundtracks. And one of the beautiful things is these, these people like John Bryan who are doing scores for movies is you really have a wide breadth of diversity of the kind of music you do. And we see that we see, um, you know, in, in many ways, figure eight is Elliot Smith's most LA album. It is, it is an album of excess and sometimes that excess works incredibly well. So you get a song like junk bond trader. combination of tracks four and five everything reminds me of her and everything means nothing to me everything reminds me of her is an elliot smith song that you could have put on either or that's a song that could be on his self-titled album but everything means nothing to me is is a song that ends with these huge studio i mean experiences this is this is a hyper-produced 
song. This is a a song with a lot of shine on it. Sometimes we talk about albums that are overproduced or song or, or albums that are, uh, they sound kind of too pristine. This is a pristine sounding record. And so everything mean nothing to me is one of those songs where you really get to hear him take full advantage of the studio, which makes sense because the next track is LA and it, it's, it's clear that Elliot Smith is writing about what is his new home and a home that he is conflicted about in some ways, uh, a, a place that he, he, he loves and thinks about it, but man, he, he is not quite comfortable here yet. And, and in many ways, he's not comfortable here because of so much of the insecurities that Micaiah mentioned that, you know, someone with all this talent and someone with the, the bravado to demonstrate these things and to really go for these things on a record. And yet also who doesn't feel personally at home anywhere. And then you end up with number six, track number seven, maybe my favorite song on the album. If favorite song or one of my two favorite songs in the album in the lost and found parenthetically honky Bach. taking the honky-tonk piano and for those of you who don't know when we talk about a honky-tonk piano we're talking about an old piano that needed to be played acoustically in a room in a room that was often loud so it gets this idea from kind of old bars and old saloons out west and so one of the ideas that they would do is they would take kind of thumbtacks and the hammers that hit a string in the piano and kind of the, the harp within the piano, they would add thumbtacks to these hammers. So when they would hit the string, it would hit louder. So it was a louder sound, but because it was metal on metal rather than a essentially a pad on metal, you ended up with a louder and 
um, a, a sonically much higher pitched, more, more, uh, trebly sounding instrument. And all of that works so well. So there's no sustained pedal on this. This is him playing this intricate piano part. So you get to hear this beautiful song and you get to hear really what an incredible piano player Elliot Smith is. He is, you know, for as talented as a guitar player as he is. And if you've ever tried to play any of his songs on guitar, you realize how much he loves, uh, you know, diminished in, in kind of sixth and seventh chords and the, the ways he uses um, his, his aptitude as a gifted guitar player, you really find out in a track like in the lost and found that he is just as gifted a piano player. Then you have track number eight, stupidity tries a song that I love track number nine, easy way out. Easy way out is a song that is very, very well written. It's all about, making the easy way out for you, I suppose, all about taking the easy way out for you, I suppose. And what we do here again is something that we hear on XO, which is this juxtaposition of Elliot Smith's pretty angry lyrics against really pop, very well-produced, very pristine sounding music. You'll take advantage till you think you'll be in yours. Cause without an enemy, your anger gets confused. And all I got stuck on the side, you know, I never chose. But it's all about. And there's something about that juxtaposition that I really love. I, I think that Elliot Smith is at his most interesting when he's saying really dark or angry things, when he's kind of confessing to the dark things that we all feel and yet doing so against the backdrop of this music that does feel like a film score, it feels like a film score for a, a, a romantic comedy in some ways. And so the way that you get to hear him do those two things together is, is really interesting. Track number 10, wouldn't mama be proud. This is where you start to get into songs that in, in some ways are just fat on the album. You, you songs that, uh, if, if you were going to cut this album down and at 16 tracks, you probably should, um, this is one of the tracks that I would get rid of. It's not a bad song. It's just a song that's not doing anything new. We haven't already heard on the album and we haven't heard it done better ways. 
the same could probably be said of track 11 color bars, which is a real shame because these two songs lead into the only other track on the album that has ever been my favorite on the album in the lost and found honky Bach and track number 12 happiness. I told him that he shouldn't have said her And that he'd only be making it worse Involving somebody else But I knew that he'd never forget her While her memory worked in reverse To keep her safe from herself beautiful beautiful track if ever there was a song that he wrote that should have been an album closer it was happiness and i know makai and i are both a little uh, upset that this is not the final track on the album in terms of the way that it is sequenced no absolutely um to the point where when happiness happens i hear and go oh i didn't realize the album was over already i go oh wait no I still have like three more tracks or four more tracks. Like it, it, it sounds so much like an obvious closer that even though I know it's not, I still, when I hear the opening uh, notes, think the album is ending to the point where it makes it sound like the last four tracks are, are bonus tracks and yeah. not actually part of the record. And, you know, and, it, and, and like you, I, I would, I would scrap wouldn't mama be proud and, I'd scrap LA too and do some of those lower four, just make a couple swaps mm-hmm. and in the record on a happiness. And I think you have a tighter album. Um, but I also say here that you know, when you talk about, cause it's technically a double LP, mm-hmm. uh, there, there are so many tracks that when you get it on vinyl, it's two tracks, but it's only a 52 minute album. So that's for a 16 track album, 52 minutes is, relatively short and for like making the statement with the cover with you know it's called figure eight which right is kind of an infinity symbol and having the kind of wandering lines on the album cover 
I want it to be more like the White Album. Go mm. there then. Do do 30 tracks. Go everywhere you can, can possibly conceive of. Give us that wild. You know, kind of earn with a, the kind of a statement that, that you read from early, you know, before you're uh, setting up the album, right? Go even further. You know, yeah. I, I either want it to be condensed, tightened up into just like a perfect 12 tracks or just go all the way nuts with it. That's kind of where I am with figure eight. I'm like, I, I love these songs, but I either wanted to go even further, which I think is the direction he was going when we listened to, um, you know, the stuff that was really released after his death. He, he was going further out there for sure. Um, so, I mean, that, and again, this is my third favorite Elliott Smith record. Second being either or and XO being my first, you know, so this is a record that I love. I have a copy of the CD that I keep in my car ready to go at all times. Um, but it just doesn't live up to like amazing, incredible album status. Um, but in particular, when we think of in terms of only 100 albums, one album per artist, right? Especially yeah. when we've, you know, kind of built these parameters around it. Uh, when discussing it for this conversation, but that that's where I'm at with it is that happiness is a, is a top five Elliot Smith track. I mean, could have been the best album closer of his career. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And and that's one of the things, and I think that's a, that's a fair assessment is that in some ways, this is, this feels like a bloated single LP. This feels like a bloated, you know, a, a single LP or, a very, very, very skinny double LP. And that's, it, it kind of doesn't, you know, it doesn't really function as a single LP album because it feels a little too bloated, but it, it doesn't have enough on it to feel like a white album. It, and so it really, you know, I, I love the way you put that, that it, it almost needs to be four songs shorter or four songs longer. Um, again, for, for something that we talk about though, on this podcast a lot, this the high points the the songs you get on this album you know i would take the the top i'd take the top five to eight tracks on this album over the top five to eight tracks on any other elliot smith album but again this is my favorite elliot smith album and in an elliot smith album in fairness i've listened to abundantly more than any other elliot smith album this was an elliot smith album when I went away to college, I had this CD and I had a, I, I, I drove a green Volkswagen Jetta with a six disc CD changer in the trunk. And from the day I got this CD until the day I left college, this CD never left being one of the six that were in, in that six disc CD changer that were in my trunk. And so there's something about this album that I, I just love how much you get, of Elliot Smith and Elliot Smith doing so many different things because you do, you get him doing things he's never done on any other albums before. And, and really, I think you get a hint of had his, had his life not ended so short and so tragically, I think you do get an indication of the direction he was going in. If he had kept writing, if he had kept producing music, if, if he lived another 20 years, what would, what would his career look like? And, and so in some ways, part of the reason I love figure eight so much is it feels like the artist we could have had, but moving on from happiness 
to pretty Mary Kay, a- another song that I would take off, off this album. It is not, it is not a great Elliot Smith song, but then you follow it up with, I better be quiet now and can't make a sound. And it's interesting, both songs 14 and 15 and songs four and five seem to have this paired relationship. So everything reminds me of her into everything means nothing to me. And then I better be quiet now into can't make a sound. I have become a silent movie. The hero killed the clown. Can't make a sound. Can't make a sound. Can't make a sound. Nobody knows what he's doing. Still hanging around. Can't make a sound. Can't make a sound. Can't make a sound. Can't make a sound The slow motion moves me The monologue means nothing to me paired songs that I think work really well together. Um, but I'm with Makai. I would have loved to have seen I Better Be Quiet Now and Can't Make a Sound moved earlier in the album and see happiness as the closer for this album. But again, 16, 16 track album. And I would take the, the 10, 11 tracks on this album and the songs that you get on this album. I'm just so, so pleased with, I, I just love this album. And, and again, it, some of that's personal taste. This is my favorite Elliot Smith album, but I, I think you get to see him experimenting on this album. You get to see him with that freedom to kind of take, take things even further. And I love where he was going. And that's not to say I, I don't love early, early Elliot Smith stuff, but the early Elliot Smith albums in some ways feel like his blue period feels like he's kind of painting with variations of the same color. And by the time he gets to figure eight, it really feels like he's, he's opening up to the whole spectrum and in probably then it's appropriate that an album as an album cover, this is the album cover with the most color on it. 
of, of any, of any of his albums. And so I think there's something to be said about kind of this move towards brighter color, this, this idea towards kind of advancing beyond painting in a single palette. Mikhail, what are your kind of final thoughts on figure eight? I think that the Salinger and Vonnegut thing is an imperfect um, analogy. Okay. But, <laughs> um, but however you can compartmentalize it in your mind, go for it. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that kind of said all the thoughts I have on figure eight, you know, I can my my top five favorite songs on figure eight are a strong top five list of songs that stack up next to every previous, you know, Ellie Smith record. Um, but a, as an album, right. As one statement, like you said, four songs shorter or four songs more, you know, like there's either make it tighter or go so far out there that you're like, Oh man, now this is something, you mm-hmm. know, really earn that double LP. Yeah. Earn that double LP. But of course, you know, he's, he's, not thinking of it as being an LP, probably he's probably thinking of just being a CD and a 50 minute CD. That's really not so bad in the year yeah. 2000. Um, that that's, that's, you know, plenty short. Uh, um, one other thing about this record too, is um, he has Elvis Costello's drummer for like, the, you know, like one of the best drummers in the history of like, you know, rock music on like junk bond trailer and what a mama be proud, you know, so that rules. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still not enough for me to kind of elevate it to topping, you know, EXO, which is which is my favorite. But yeah, Figure Eight again, my third favorite, right? Even over self-titled, you know, I guess yeah. There's something really it, it's a nostalgia thing, I think, also for me because it sounds so like the year 2000. Mm-hmm. You know, there 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 is kind of this like kind of optimism in there i mean i mean optimism but definitely like pre 9 11 pre first bush term like there is something kind of like exciting about like what's the millennium gonna be it doesn't you know where where so many things are paranoid about the new millennium this doesn't really seem to be concerned about y2k um there's there's kind of an excitement there instead of a paranoia um so i i like it for for those reasons for sure so let me give you the credits for this record. Elliot Smith's obviously doing vocals on all the songs, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, piano, bass guitar, drums, Hammond organ, pump organ, Chamberlain, harpsichord, orchestra bells, shakers, m- marching band, bass drum, loops, um, string arrangements on half the songs, and he's the co-producer of the album. I mean, this is him he's he's doing everything he's doing a whole lot on this album and he does you know he he has sam coombs who's a longtime con- con- collaborator play bass pete thomas of um the attractions is playing drums uh you, you know you get john bryan back doing some backing vocals uh, you have string, you know, string arrangement and orchestration on a few other songs done by Susie Katayama and Matt Dunkley. But by and large, this is Elliot Smith doing all the things he wants to do. This is this is DreamWorks paying for as much studio time as he wants, and he's doing all the things he wants. And so, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said f- for that idea of like, come on, like, give us more. 
like give us 10 more songs in like if you've got if you've got the time and you've got the freedom in a in a record label who again in in 2000 before uh you know record sales had fallen off globally and the internet had taken over um you know record sales this was a period of time that dreamworks would have happily paid for him just to live in a studio for six months or a year and record whatever he wanted to and so it does, it does feel like a missed opportunity for him not to give us, uh, you know, a 25 or 28 track album. At least 20. Five yeah. songs on each side. Earn the double LP. So let's talk as objectively as possible while also recognizing that I, I, I think we can sense where this is going. What makes a great album and what are the ways you and I typically choose a great album. So let's start here. Let's start cover. Figure eight XO, which, which album has the better cover? I like the XO cover better. Um, okay. personally, um, but I think, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there's just something so peculiar about the XO cover the, the more I look at it, like I don't even fully understand it when I see it. And the more I look at it, the more I'm like, Oh, that's a reflection. Like, it, it, yeah. And, you know, so it's, um, you know, I, I, yeah, the, it just sets up. I mean, I think both album covers really tell you or do a really good job of telling you what the record is mm-hmm. by looking at the cover, which I think is a sign of a great cover. Yeah. Neither of which are, Maybe iconic album covers, um, either or might be the most like iconic Elliot Smith album cover. Um, so when it comes to who has the best cover, I don't think either of these are the best Elliot Smith cover. Um, yeah. but but I'm with you. I do think I do think both albums have a cover that tell you what you're gonna get. And yeah. in in given that, I think figure eight, of course, um, you know, it's it, it's it's a white album. Um, with with a a photo of him taken in front of um, a, a a sound uh, an audio video repair place on Sunset Boulevard, um, kind of that famous uh, you know red and black kind of swirly picture, and it's him just standing in front of them. It it feels very much like an LA picture, and one that like I was saying earlier maybe doesn't actually fully live up to the potential especially now and i'm like thinking about like that quote again it's like oh yeah it's like an infinite like swirl that it has like no real endpoints. so maybe it doesn't fully live up to that potential of like if i'm buying a double lp but of course this is really the area you're buying one cd, CD. Um, but so in a in a record era or from that perspective maybe doesn't fully live up to its potential but it is a very easy record to listen to over and over again. Yeah. So in that yeah. way, it but, does. but to that point, I do think the point you're making about XO, because there's so much going on in the XO cover, I do think there's more opportunity. I think what you get on the figure eight cover, you get on the surface. I think the XO cover invites you deeper. I, I think it invites you to return to it over and over again. Yeah. Um, in, in a way that I find interesting. So then let's start here. Best album opener. Um, and this is this is an interesting okay. one because Son of Sam is a strong song and Sweet Adelaide's a really strong song. Yeah, I think I think Son of Sam is a great single, especially for that record. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the best opener for that record. 
Um, and I, this is where I agree. I think, I think Sweet Outline's probably his best album opener. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe of his career, but certainly the better between these two albums. Yeah, it's uh, well, it makes a statement. It makes a statement about what the record is. It makes a statement about who he is, right? In that moment, Son of Sam is, you know, oh yeah, I heard this single a month ago or a week ago before the record dropped, and now it's the opening song on the record. Great, you know, there is something a little bit more. It makes no statement about the record. It makes no statement about Elliot Smith. I don't think. Um, so sweet outline. Yeah. And, and I agree. Maybe the most effective opener, um, of his career in terms of making a big statement, but best probably needle in the hay from self-titled. That might be mm-hmm. the best actual Elliot Smith opener. Um, but for these two albums, I yeah. think EXO takes it. And, and as we've already talked about album closer easily goes to EXO. Um, again, just because figure eight, it, it, uh, the blown opportunity to close an album on happiness. I, I think had happiness been the closer of figure eight, I think it's the best closer of his career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, uh, I mean, say yes on either or is his best closer. Um, obvious best closer since happiness is not it. Um, but, but I, I love the acapella mm-hmm. because kind of Elliot Smith thing, but also, uh, very Beach Boys, too. yeah. You know he he's he's doing Brian, Carl, Al, Al Jardine, Mike Love. You know he's doing all their parts. You know, um, it's yeah, and, and I think I think it is a a really um, effective closer, also. Mm-hmm. So I think I think EXO takes it. What we're looking at these two. Um, it, admittedly, EXO is the tighter album. Um, even though it's, I mean, you know, again, it's not it's not overwhelmingly shorter. I mean, it's, it's 14 tracks over 43 yeah. minutes versus 16 tracks over 52. Yeah. Um, it's not that much shorter, but it is, it is a tighter album. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a, a lot of that has to do with the other feature that we talk about when we think about albums, which is how is it sequenced? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. album has the better sequencing? EXO, this is kind of a no-brainer. And I think it's saved by my interpretation of the album using the the quote from Bled White as as kind of like, oh, this is the statement about the record, happiness and sadness and quick succession. So it allows you to look at these kind of moments where it can go from Waltz 1 to Amity and be like, well, that's a really jarring transition. Um, but through my lens of, of viewing the record that way, it um, intellectually makes a lot of sense, actually, even though if just listening to it kind of casually, it is jarring. And I, I think that, um, that the way that figure eight is sequenced um, is inconsequential. It, it doesn't, I, I don't think it matters um, in what order you hear those songs yeah. at all. Figure eight definitely functions more like a, like a mixtape in terms of its sequencing it it seems to just be here's here's the songs with with the exception really of kind of the two paired songs that we talked about yeah everything reminds me of her everything's nothing to me and um better be quiet now and can't make a sound you know other than those two pairs of songs the the placement of every other song on the album seems to be like thrown at a dartboard so here's the 
tough question. And, and this is one where I think, you know, you've already seen my hands. What album has the best songs? Well, I mean, looking at EXO, Sweet Adeline, right? As an opener and as a song is great. Tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow. Waltz number two, that's an all-timer. Baby Britain, an all-timer. Mm-hmm. Um, Waltz number one is great. Bottle Up and Explode, right? I mean, these are, you know, these these are the big ones. And looking at figure eight, Son of Sam, even though it's like the big single from this one. Um, is probably is, not a top five on this album. Isn't a top five on this album and can't even stand up against the top five of XO. Um, there, there are a lot of things that are equal to the songs, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, um, but maybe not better. Like, I don't know, because when I look at things like, figure it, like, I love Junk Bond Trader. Yeah. I, I love that song. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, it's a top 10 Elliot Smith song. Even the, I mean, this is where I'm like, I have to divorce, like, what's my favorite versus what's the best. Uh, Stupidity tries. Like, I also really like that song, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's like a best, you know, but, but happiness, mm-hmm. happiness has the strength to be like, okay, well, there might not be a song on EXO that's better than happiness. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, though, is colored because happiness is how I also want to remember Elliot Smith's yeah. career. Yeah. So I can't, I can't separate that from it either. But um, for me, if I'm going to take my top five songs from both albums, I'll, I'll probably pick my three best, uh, three of those, you know, my top five of each of those would probably be from EXO. Mm-hmm. Right. It'd probably be three against, to, you know, happiness versus maybe another song from figure eight, but like baby Britain waltz number two. Um, I mean, those are so, so and, and waltz number one, I, I love and bottle up and explode like those, mm-hmm. those, those are just going to knock out the ones that I, I really enjoy from figure eight, but that I don't think as. Yeah. It's, it's funny to hear you say that because I, and, and again, I, I think this is one of those areas where personal preference plays such a big role for me if I'm choosing, you know, what are the top five Elliott Smith songs from these two albums? It would be three and two, not, you know, cause, cause it, the two would be Waltz number two and baby Britain. I think those are undeniable, but I would have happiness in the lost and found in somebody that I used to know yeah, as, as, as the other three in, in that list. And, and so really, I, you know, I think that, if we're talking, we actually have very similar songs in our, what would be our top fives from both albums. So I I would, I would have the honky block um, and, um, and happiness. But then instead of somebody that you know, I probably have tomorrow, tomorrow, which is kind of like, they're, they're pretty parallel in terms of style. Yeah. So it, it really is for us pretty close on how that plays out. Yeah. So, so I think tomorrow, like, tomorrow, oh, it's tough. Yeah. It, yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I think also just has like a great one of the like the great quintessential Elliot Smith 
lines, right? They took your life apart and called your failures art. Like that's, that's the record. That's Elliot Smith. That's, you know what I mean? And I think that's what gives it the edge over uh, somebody I used to know, which sounds like the song you expect Elliot Smith to write. And then maybe five albums in, you're kind of like still doing that. I mean, you know, like, it, again, I'm only saying that because we're splitting hairs now. Cause that's yeah, also it, one of my favorite songs from that record. Yeah. Well, so we are splitting hairs now. Yeah. So, so given that we are getting to the place of splitting hairs, I prefer the best songs on figure eight, but that being said, that's really that and potentially, you know, a, a, a more, um, at least for me, kind of recognizable album cover are really the only two strong points going for figure eight in, in this comparison mm-hmm. that the better sequencing, the better opener and closer, um, the, you know, the, uh, the album that functions better as a whole, the tighter album, that's all EXO. And so, um, you know, trying to be objective in this figure eight remains my favorite Elliot Smith album. It will remain the album of his I listen to the most, but for our list, Micaiah, we are prepared to put forth Elliot Smith's XO as one of the hundred greatest albums of all time. Is that right? Is that, is that deserving of its place? You know, um, XO is not on any iteration of the Rolling Stone 500, the enemy 500, any of that stuff. Um, either or is fairly high um, on the new Rolling Stone 500. And it's also on the enemy 500 from 2013. Um, and I get why it's there. You know, it, it has so many, like it, the songs on there are iconic, but I, I do, I want us to kind of, open people up to the idea of of looking past just either or being like the like oh no there's no no debate no conversation to be had it's either or no questions asked you know what i mean mm-hmm. and because and i want i want i want people to consider things like xo and figure eight to like well look at this side of elliot smith look what he was doing here look like how much he had grown as a as a writer as a producer as a you know a musician like Look at these records. These records are amazing. Why? Why is it so easy to just say, oh, either or? You know, let, let's look at this stuff. And and now that we're so we're almost twenty five years away from the release of EXO, so like all the petty grievances of like, well, he's not on a indie label anymore. Like that stuff doesn't matter anymore, mm-hmm. right? So if if we're just looking at the music from that point in his career, it's incredible. It's incredible music, and I I'm I'm proud to say that EXO is ours. And, 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 and I think that what we've done here is a, is a honest look at these albums and not something that's just contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Um, you and I both love these two records and this mm-hmm. point in his career. And I think made an honest case for why they need more recognition um, from these kind of lists. Um because in either or is a great album. It's my second favorite from Elliot Smith, but the power of these lists is that they kind of create a canon of what's going to be remembered, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, my concern as an Elliot Smith fan is that this phase in his career is being forgotten. So I want to say, look at these 
last two records that he came out with, um, they are potentially the best thing that he he did. Um, yeah. Certainly, if this if this is our list and not just you and I regurgitating some amalgamation of of other canonized lists, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it has to be us. And for us, we're we're big fans of this era of Elliot Smith's career. And I'm looking forward to the day when he starts to get some more recognition for this. In some ways, it makes me think of what we've seen happen in the last 10 years is kind of the late era Beatles albums have started to get a lot more love and a lot more attention. And of course, I think the pendulum swing back that we're going to see from that is, you know, I I predict now like the next thing we're going to see is those early Beatles albums get, you know, go back to getting some of of the attention that they should get. And in in some ways that's kind of what I'm waiting for here with Elliot Smith. I'm, I'm waiting for people to, admit either or is a phenomenal album hugely influential album i understand why it is so many people's favorite but let's move beyond this artist being just this one thing because he's so much more than that well listener what do you think did we get this right are are you a fan of elliot smith are you screaming and yelling at your uh, phone or, uh, you know, computer right now, as you're listening to this podcast, are you in utter shock that we have not nominated either or let us know, reach out to us, of course, on Instagram at you forgot one on Twitter at you forgot one pod. Of course, our website is you forgot one.com. Uh, if you do us a favor, wherever you're listening to this podcast, would you rate and review subscribe, like whatever it is that you do on your various uh, podcast medium? Would you do that for us so that other folks can find the podcast in Micaiah? Since your album one, you get to pick our closing song. Let's do Baby Britain. Perfect. We'll see you next week. Baby Britain feels the Star. We knocked another cup.